I don't know about you, but one of the things I, um, it's hard for me to receive is, um, is advice. It's just, just flat out advice on those kind of things. There's, um, it's like people giving, like, oh, you know what you should do? It's like, no, I don't. I don't wanna know. Um, advice has this kind of odd function in culture. Nowadays, online, you don't see a lot of advice columnists. Instead, you see like life hacks, which are basically just advice. And so it's like 20 things of advice for you, but it says like 20 life hacks to make your, yours life just like Tim Cook or something like that. But you know, people don't like to hear advice. There's this kind of maybe judgment. If you don't accept it, you don't really like it. Advice functions in movies in interesting ways. Uh, very famously in the movie The Graduate, um, when um, he graduates from high school, someone comes up to him and says, I got one word for you. One word. Plastics. Think about it. But if everybody invested in plastic companies in 1967, they would be pretty wealthy right now. It's a pretty good word of advice. Another famous advice I was thinking of is from the other classic, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, when Conan is asked, what is best in life? And he says, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of the women. <laughs> Which is interesting advice, it's a little different. Um, it's actually kind of the opposite of Christianity. <laughs> if you asked, if, if it instead was, if it was a Christian Conan, you're like, Christian Conan, what is best in life? They'd probably say, to love your enemies. See them flourish before you. Yeah. And hear the joyous praises of the women. Uh, that's a little, a little different. Um, but that'd be good advice, though. If you were, like, that's best in life. If you, if you love your enemies and see them flourish before you. That's, that's pretty wonderful. But advice has this, this function in this weird way. Um, usually, the times we're most receptive to advice is times of transition in our life. Like when we're going to college, or we're moving to a new town, or having a baby, or um, times after rejection, <laughs> after something hasn't happened, after you you apply to a lot of jobs and nothing comes through, you open yourself up. After you know the the person you thought you were going to be with doesn't work out, those those moments, it's like fine, okay, I will admit it, I will receive from another. And so we come to this conclusion to our series on dealing with rejection, on dealing with those, those times in life where it doesn't go as we would expect. And we, we must remember as well that the Bible is, is full of rejection. The story of God through the Bible is the story of people rejecting God over and over again. Uh, even like the people we think of as the most responsive, uh, Moses, Mary, Isaiah, they all rejected God at first. They were like, what, who, me? Nah, you got to be kidding. And again, over and over again throughout the Bible, we see people rejecting each other. That's the story, the story of the nation of Israel in Scripture, is rejecting God and rejecting each other, and God continually coming back and continuing offering, remembering the covenant, renewing that covenant. And so as we've, as we've discussed these past few weeks, we remember with, with rejection, there's these three truths to it. The first is that you will be rejected in this life. It is going to happen. You can't avoid it. You can't try, try to avoid it. So let's admit that there will be rejections in this life. The second, though, is more important that you are not defined by your rejections. You are not defined by those paths that did not work out. And third, that God will never reject you. And so we come to this, this curious scripture of Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, first of all, we must admit that it doesn't sound like the Lord's Prayer that most of us are taught. 
even in the translations. Um, there's a little different. Some parts are cut out. And one of the aspects of that, um, it's not some big conspiracy by the church to keep you the truth from you. It's uh, the, the texts used in the King James Version in the early 17th century were from about the 5th century. And the, the texts, the actual manuscripts that people have today are from earlier, are from the 2nd and 3rd century. And so that's what the kind of translations, they don't, they don't contrast with each other. It's like, you know, some say trespasses, some say debts. Like, those are pretty similar words. Um, and if you're fixated on the difference and saying it has to be trespasses because this is what I was taught when I was three years old, then you're missing out on the aspect of translation, that God speaks through different languages and cultures. And there's no one-to-one um, correlation in any language. And so what we're left with is, is reading the scriptures by faith and receiving that God is speaking through this. So that's the first part. That's why it's slightly different. As well, in the, um, there's no, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, because that was part of the Book of Common Prayer. Um, and that was added. If you ever go to a Catholic Mass, nobody says that except for the priest. And so you'll be, like we were talking about this earlier in Sunday school, is that you go and you're like, all right, the Lord's Prayer, finally I understand something. This is something I got. And then you keep talking and everyone else is quiet. They're like, wait a minute. What's because it's a liturgical moment to say that, to that, that proclamation for yours is the kingdom. Um, so those, those quick context things aside. The Lord's Prayer is a really powerful statement. It's, it's asking an amazing thing. God, may your name be holy. May your name be different from the other names. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then in Luke, he goes on. He goes through this kind of curious section of a few verses about neighbors knocking on your door, um, which we'll get back to in the middle of the night. And then comes to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That sounds pretty great, right? That sounds pretty great, that all I have to do is ask, and I get whatever I want. Well, it's a little different than that. Um, God is not a genie um, in a bottle ready to grant your wishes. And sometimes God is conceived in that way. Sometimes deities are conceived, and their purpose is to grant our requests. And if they don't grant our requests, they have failed us. Uh, but that's, that's not at all what's going on. And part of this has to do with a confusion about the word understanding of freedom and how we are to understand Christian freedom versus other, other versions of freedom. It's a really, really um, complex, complex topic and argument, but I wanted to just like flesh out a little bit and get kind of a little academic ease for you, if you give me some patience. Um, Oftentimes, it's this, uh, transition, this uh, contrast between Christian freedom and free choice. And usually, we think of freedom as free choice. Freedom is, we have a buffet of possibilities. You have, you know, you, it's like a, a potluck. And so, you have the, the creamed corn, you have the salads, you have the biscuits, and you get to choose whichever you want. That's often this, this portrayal of freedom. And a lot of that comes back to this thinker named John Locke in the 17th century. And he was very influential on the Founding Fathers. He, he wrote this um, about the, the life, liberty, and property that Thomas Jefferson later turned into the pursuit of happiness, but it's still property. And it's this freedom, the, the freedom is best understood as, as what you possess in your property and having the freedom to do with your property what you will. And the, the catch is, and the challenge of that is pretty soon you realize, well, if you have a lot of property, that means you're really free. <laughs> and if you have not much property, you're not very free. And suddenly there's this gradient of freedom that's very different from what God is talking about. Thomas Merton speaks of this too in a really, in a really strong way. Uh, he writes, 
about, about freedom and choice. To the extent that you are free to choose evil as evil, you are not free. We can never choose evil as evil, only as an apparent good. But when we decide to do something that seems to us to be good when it is not really so, we are doing something that we do not really want to do. Therefore, we are not really free. So we think back to this buffet, this idea that freedom is about free choice. And you have all of these things before you. Let's think instead of a nice church potluck, we have a beautiful apple, an okay cheesecake, and meth. Okay, so those are the three options in front of us. Now, um, some of us may choose the apple, some the cheesecake, and you can be honest with us, some may choose the meth. That's okay. We're not talking about that today. Don't choose meth. That's okay. Um, but, but the issue is not the person standing here apart from their history and apart from their circumstances, because we can never be abstracted from those. Whatever desires that draws us to the apple or draws us to the cheesecake or draws us to the meth happened way before that moment of choice. And so the freedom is not. If we, are the one, if we decide to choose an apple or a cheesecake or a meth, it's because we think that is going to be a good choice for us. We are going to want that outcome. I know this is like super complex. I'm lay it, lay it out a little more. But that's, that's the point, that we always desire what we think is good. And so we can't think of freedom as just this freedom to choose. Freedom is actually about our desires. And do we have the freedom to desire what is actually good or what is just apparently good? Do we have the freedom to desire what, what God wills for us or are we going to desire those things that are destructive towards us? That is the challenge. That is the challenge of, of the Lord's Prayer, of the text in Luke. What is the true freedom that we can seek? And in this, and in this, I think St. Paul in, the, in 2 Corinthians lays it out even more clearly. This is in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. He says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Lord's Spirit is, there is freedom. All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord. And so, in Paul's view, freedom is this transformation Freedom is this continually being transformed to see as God sees. Continually being transformed to desire what is good and true and beautiful. Which is a big contrast, again, to the buffet. Which the buffet is basically, I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to take advice from anybody. I can choose what I want because I am sovereign over all that is in my domain. And Paul is saying, no. You are a child of God who can be transformed to love. Which is amazing. He goes on, talking about in chapter 5. This is how this is able to happen. This is the miracle that is able to happen, that we are able to be given the freedom to see what is good, the freedom to do what is good in this world. Because he says, Jesus died for the sake of all, so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And that is the freedom, that we are offered the freedom to not live for ourselves, the freedom to not be slaves to our own desires. The freedom to not assume that all of life is about what we choose or how we, what our hobbies are. That, that all our life is not about our retirement or our mortgage or where our kids are going to school. That there is more to that. That we don't have to live but by keeping up with the Joneses. That we can live for God. We can live for others. He says, so then if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has left away. 
What it remains is the new. So we think again about the buffet. We think about standing there and what causes us to make these choices. And what Paul is telling us, what happens with Christ, is we cease to be. When we accept Christ, when we step into life with Christ, we cease to be those circumstances that have caused us to choose what is destructive for us. And we become a new creation, able to seek God in love. Paul goes goes on in chapter 6. He says, Since we are working together with Christ, we also beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God just as another thing on the buffet of your life. It's not just, just another casserole or just another apple. Instead, he goes on, Look, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't give anyone any reason to be offended about anything so that our ministry won't be criticized. Instead, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in every way. And then this lovely, um, this lovely aspect. He says, we went through beatings, imprisonments, and riots. We experienced hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. We displayed purity, knowledge, patience, and generosity. We served with the Holy Spirit, genuine love. We were treated with honor and dishonor, with verbal abuse and good evaluation. We were seen as both fake and real, as unknown as, and as well-known, as dying and look, we are alive. We were seen as punished but not killed, as going through pain but always happy, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing but owning everything. And we, we read through that, that list, that, those, those dichotomies, and think again back to ask and it shall be granted to you. Seek and you will find. Paul wasn't, Jesus wasn't talking about that we need to ask for a life apart from suffering. Or a life apart from trial or tribulation. But to seek and ask a life of love. And sometimes that takes us into places we don't really think we need to be. But we are free there because we seek the love of God. Throughout, whether or not... We are imprisoned or free, whether or not um, we are being seen as fake or real. I think that's a powerful, powerful aspect that Paul points to. It's not whether or not you are real or fake, but how people see you. Because we can't control how people see us, right? And that's part of, part of the challenge, is you can't control the minds of other people. And if other people have assume something about you or make these assumptions about your expectations, you can't control them. What you can, what you do have the freedom to is how you respond. And whether or not you respond with the eyes of love. Whether or not you respond as, as Conan the Barbarian or Christian Conan. <laughs> whether the best in life is to crush your enemies or to love your enemies. And sometimes it feels like, gosh, it'd be great to crush my enemies. That would feel so good. Because those people have been on my neck for weeks. I just want to see them gone. But that isn't the best in life. The best in life is the transformation of those people. In our life, who we just want to get out, and the transformation that can only happen through grace. That can only happen because God is love and Christ is risen. And so God offers us this freedom to live a life of love. But what that means for us is that we have to let go of those things that are not love in our life. And that's, that's mostly the challenge. That's the challenge of what um, John Wesley calls sanctification, of being made holy of getting to the point of what he refers to as Christian perfection. Uh, Christian perfection is not living a mistake-free life. It's not just being what everybody thinks you ought to be. It's living a life that's only love. 
As, as Charles Wesley mentioned it in one of his hymns, uh, he emptied himself of all but love. How, just imagine that. What if we were emptied of every desire in our heart but love? If we didn't have those kind of moments of jealousy or, or, or pride or worry or anxiety in the middle of the night or, or when people cut us off in traffic in Austin and you're like, what is this person driving? If we instead we were emptied of all but love, that is possible not because we are awesome, not because any of you are awesome, but because God is so great. And God offers this grace to each of us. It also means that we need to start letting go of those things that are not love in our life. That we don't need them. That we don't need, just because we've done something for years, doesn't mean we need it to be who we are. Our identity is not found by our hobbies. Our identity is not found by our, by our job, by what we like, but the fact that we are loved and we are offered the opportunity to love. In Colossians, Paul, Paul clears this up as well. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Where are you rooted? Where is your foundation? He says in, in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. The philosophy and empty deceit of the world is telling us that our life and our freedom is based on the ability to choose what is in front of us as opposed to the desire what is good, the desire what God has for us, to seek that. Instead, you were offered that freedom and that opportunity. In, in the United Methodist hymnal, um, which should be around you, there is a bunch of prayers, which I didn't realize for most of my life. When I grew up, was growing up in the church, I would often, um, when the preacher was preaching, like look through the hymnal and look at hymns because um, I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. And so I have a lot of, I have a lot of patience for, for people who aren't paying attention to me. Uh, <laughs> but if you turn to page 403, uh, there's a lovely prayer by, by um, St. Teresa of Avila. Kate, you're welcome. And I just want to read this to you because I think it gets to this point directly. Govern all by thy wisdom, O Lord, so that my soul may always be serving thee as thou dost well and not as I may choose. Do not punish me, I beseech thee, by granting that which I wish or ask, if it offend thy love, which would always live in me. So this is a really, really powerful, powerful concept and gets connected to the passage from Luke, that praying to God, God, don't, don't give me what I want if it's going to hurt me. And it's a powerful statement to step out and say, God, I desire this, but maybe I don't need it. Will you give me what I need? I'm going to seek you. And one of the reasons of asking and seeking is so that we can discover what we actually want. For instance, if you might actually want, dear God, I really want the Longhorns to win the Big 12 this year. (laughs) Now, for some of us, that may seem like, gosh, that's a really vain prayer. I mean, that's really selfish. What about the other teams? But, (laughs) But when I say that... When I say that, what happens is I discover what I really want. And then I can hear myself and I can think, oh my gosh. And God uses that. It's like, do I really want that? Is that really what my heart's desire is? What is my heart's desire? What am I desiring right now? Is my, is my interest, is my mind, am I continually going back to websites to see how the, recru- the new kids are doing? It's like, is that where my focus and attention is? How can my attention be transformed? How can I be emptied? I don't have to let go of football to let go of, of filling my mind with only football. 
I need to have it transformed to see how God is working in these different ways. It is the freedom to desire what is good that God offers us. That is in the response to rejection, in the response to so many things in life. We are left with freedom. That we can stand in the face of the rejections we receive in this world and say, I am not that. I am a child of God. My freedom is not based on my my career flexibility, but the fact that I have the ability to love and I can continually grow in that love. And that's what we are received with the Lord's Prayer, which each of those clauses is an aspect of transforming our desire. Our Father, every time you say our Father, it is a desire for God to really be your Father. Hallowed be your name. May your name be set apart from other names. God, may I speak your name in a different way. May I save your name for those special moments. Thy kingdom come. May God's kingdom be here. And God's kingdom is probably going to look a lot like the kingdom we have of this world. And so that means I need to be ready to actually desire God's kingdom. Where, where the, um, there is no more crying, nor weeping, nor gnashing of teeth. But where those who hurt and cheat and scar will be transformed. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's one of the most radical claims of the Lord's Prayer. May may I not work and worry so much for what you can offer me, O Lord. May I receive it. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my trespasses, my debts, as I forgive others. May I forgive others as I am forgiven. May I not seek that. May I not assume, gosh, why don't they forgive me? May I live into that desire. Oh God, do not tempt, send me into temptation. May I not be the kind of person who is tempted and receive temptation. Each of these is about transforming us. And so we, we say the Lord's Prayer a lot in our family um, when our kids go to sleep. It's usually very rote. Sometimes it's more rote than others. Like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just because we just want to get to bed. Um, <laughs> And there's, there's some aspects that, yeah, you know, it's not great to not be super enthusiastic every time, but there's a way that God works through, even if you are not really in the moment, God is working through you in the Lord's Prayer. And God is transforming you. And I just encourage you this day to receive that. To receive that maybe God is using that prayer, maybe God is using you. Maybe you yourself are being transformed right now. And maybe you are ready to step into God's grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.